This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Samovar Tea. To find out more, visit samovarlife.com. And by listeners like you. To find out more and make a donation, visit insideactingpodcast.com. very special episode of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. This is, of course, episode 52, but it's also our Showbiz Expo 2011 episode. So just like we attended the trade, trade show Actor Fest, we also attended the Showbiz Expo 2011 for the first time. We actually brought along our correspondent, Melissa Collins, and our producer, Nelson Murray. So the three of us, Nelson, Melissa, and myself, all attended the show, and we've got some really interesting discussions about some of the panels that we saw, as as well as some of the things we saw down on the exhibit floor. So uh, we're really excited to um, to bring that information to you. Uh, before we do, just got some shout-outs we want to uh, do for people who have been uh, so generous in not only being a strong supporters to the podcast with their ears, but also with their wallets. So we want to uh, give a big shout out to one of our uh, oldest listeners, uh, Brandon Roberts. Um, I don't mean that he's old. I mean that he's been listening for a really long time. Also, one of our newest subscribers, Olga Voronkova. And by subscriber, I don't necessarily mean that she's subscribed in iTunes, although you all probably should, but that she is now one of the recurring monthly donators. So thank you so much for that, Olga. And uh, longtime listener, Daniel Pierce, also a, uh, a frequent donator to the podcast. Thank you so much for that, Daniel. And a new donation coming in from... Uh, Scott Menville. Thank you so much, Scott, for your very, 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 very generous donation. And thank you all for helping us to keep the podcast going. I know we always say it whenever we do these shout-outs, but it really is true that we would not still be going today if it wasn't for you guys and your support. So let's uh, jump right into it. We've got um, uh, mostly a lot of discussion, no interviews um, in this one, um, just discussions about the different panels that we saw at Showbiz Expo. You can check them out on the web at showbizexpo.com to learn more about what the trade show is, although we do get a very special interview with Zach Lesberg, who is the owner of the Showbiz Expo, and he kind of breaks down um, what it is and a little bit of the history. So uh, stay tuned for that, and we'll see you all on the other side. Hey everyone, this is AJ hanging out here at the Showbiz Expo 2011. We're at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Um, I'm actually joined today by our producer, Nelson. Hello, hello everybody. And our correspondent, Melissa Collins. Hello. And you may have uh, remember uh, Melissa's uh, interview with the ladies from 
uh, in the wake over at the Kirk Douglas Theater. And we're just checking out some of the exhibits today down in the Exhibitors Hall and also some of the panels. Um, we've just completed or just attended our first panel, and we kind of split up. Uh, I attended the uh, panel titled The Truths and Myths About How to Make It in the Voiceover Business. I was tweeting about that, so if anybody is following our Twitter feed today, they will have seen that. And Nelson and Melissa attended the Social Media for Filmmakers um, event. So why don't you guys, uh, can you kind of break down what, what kind of stuff you, you heard in, in that one? Sure. Well, I, the, the event was really um, sort of a breakdown of, it was really, honestly, it was an outline format. The person who was presenting had a couple of documents that they were making available for people who signed up for their webinar um, that walked you through everything from creating usernames and uh, URLs for the different brands that you have. Um, and or and or the specific projects or film names that you've got, um, keeping them consistent across all the different types of networks that you're using, whether it be a YouTube page, a LinkedIn page, a Facebook page, um, things like that. To be perfectly honest, a lot of the information was, I feel, a bit elementary, especially for the, the types of listeners that it seems like uh, inside acting is, is really attracting. And... Um, I think that there's good stuff that you could use for review, uh, but, there, but the vast majority of it felt like it was, um, you know, for lack of a, a better way of phrasing this, just a, a way to kind of sell tickets to his webinar or to sell access to his webinars. Um, some of it was reminding people of just how much effort really needs to be put into to social media and how time-consuming it actually is. So there is sort of a, you know, getting things done uh, style to the way that he was presenting about being able to multitask and being able to take care of putting together actual content and putting together films or editing films or editing a reel while simultaneously keeping up to speed with your um, with your social media presence. Um, but, you know, all in all, I felt like it was... Uh, probably a bit more effective for someone who is newer to the game or at least newer to the use of social media for a distribution method and for a communication method and someone who could some, I mean it would have been totally relevant for someone who's very seasoned as a filmmaker or as an artist but someone who is not that savvy with the technical side of things. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I love that you said the IAP listeners are pretty savvy because I feel I feel that way. Um, I don't know if you guys feel that way. Send us uh, an email or, or call us if you or, uh, agree or disagree, but I feel like you guys are pretty uh, you know, social media savvy. Um, just to clarify, the uh, panel was held by filmmakingwebinars.com. So, um, as Nelson was saying, he was probably just using it as a forum to kind of uh, get, you know, send traffic and customers to his website. The truth and myths about uh, how to make it in the voiceover business was was pretty good. Some stuff was uh, as. Uh, as Nelson expressed in his panel, um, some of the stuff was pretty elementary, pretty rudimentary. But I did glean um, some really interesting stuff from there and got some questions answered. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway is probably the fact that VoiceBank.net, which is the, the, the big sort of voiceover demos uh, collection online, um, where a lot of actors, voiceover actors, post their online demos uh, for review by casting directors. They've started this new sort of subset of VoiceBank.net called Voice Registry. 
VoiceBank.net requires that you be represented by one of the agents on VoiceBank.net in order to have your demo on that website. So they've created this subset called Voice Registry, which does not require that you are represented in order to um, actually be listed on the site. And they have various levels of uh, membership. Uh, the the base uh, level is free, and then it goes up to like some platinum level or something at $7 a month. And you can check out the website to see what the differences are between them. But I just thought it was a cool way for people who have you know little to no experience in the voiceover arena to kind of uh, uh, go on and uh, not only get their demos uh, posted online or, or at least learn, and I guess that's the more important thing, have a resource to learn more about uh, the voiceover world. From the golf. We're outside the panel halls or the panel rooms once again. Uh, we've just attended our uh, our second panels. Um, Nelson and I went to distribution strategies for independent filmmakers while Melissa attended Secrets of the Casting Process, which was actually presented by Breakdown Services. I'm going to kind of have her um, talk about uh, uh, some of the stuff that she picked up on in that panel. Uh, you said it was broken down into basically like three different sections? That's kind of how I felt about it. The first the first third, they I feel like they spent, um, they spent the first third of their time talking about... Um, the video, the video submissions online in breakdown services and how having video attached to your submission is going to put you ahead of everyone else. So they gave an example, actually, um, of a previously cast La Femme Nikita where 17, 16 or 1,700 um, actors were submitted for consideration and out of them, 13 were chosen. So they were talking a lot about how to separate yourself from the mass um, amount of submissions and the best way to do that they said um, whereas long ago there was the demo reel um, and now you can separate that out on the breakdown services site um, or actors access what do you what do you mean by separate it out well you have you you have your demo reel which has everything and um, and now they're saying that the best way to the best way to submit is to separate your demo reel so that if you're submitting to modern family you have your you know a couple of comedy clips that are submitted instead of your law and order type clips yeah I've seen these services recently um, and maybe it was breakdown services that I saw where you can actually attach uh, certain clips from shows that you were on to the credit on your resume on that service. So I guess what they're saying is like you can now submit the individual credits associated or the individual videos associated with said credits um, when you're submitting for a role. Yeah, they said they said something about and I haven't been on it in a long time I've got to admit, but they um they said that you can you can attach the video to your resume but it's not going to behoove you to do that as much as it I mean there when they look at it there is um, there is something that says video. If you don't have video it's gray, you can't click on it. Um, and if you do have video the casting director can click on it and see the relevant clips that you have attached to your submission. Oh, I see. So you can attach whatever video you want to your submission as long as, of course, it's uploaded to Breakdown Services. I believe that is correct. <clears throat> so I don't, I don't have the, you know, the breakdown of their... Uh, breakdown. That was dumb. <laughs> uh, I don't have the breakdown of their... Uh, of their pricing in front of me, but I know that they charge X amount for having uh, extra photos and X amount for having extra videos. So this is just another way for them to make money off of actors, or is well, it an actual useful service? It is an absolutely useful service. I mean, I think any business is going to look for a way to keep itself alive, and you know, and this 
you know, and this is going to do that, and you know, and be in service of the casting director. If I were casting something, I would much rather be able to see that person act and see if they can do it and sift through the 1,700 submissions, and rather than take a chance on someone that looks right that might not look like their photo, who I can't see work. So it's twenty. It's twenty-two minutes per minute of video that you put up there. So if you submit two minutes of video, it's forty-four dollars, and that's not that isn't per clip. Now, did they talk at all about this being more of a service for actors with or without representation, or did they kind of avoid that subject altogether? No, you can do it. You can you can do it with or without um, with or without representation. The reason I ask that question is simply because, like, I'm wondering, you know. Uh, on the on the podcast, we 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 often try to figure out ways of of accomplishing the same goals without spending a whole lot of money. So I'm trying to figure out if there is an end around with this whole video service thing. Like, for instance, if it would be possible to have your representation email specific clips to you know a casting director if they want to submit you for a particular role. So that's why I asked uh, that question. Um, what other uh, what that others will actually bring us to the virtual pre-read, which is going to become more and more and more and more standard as time goes on. Um, what What is the virtual pre-read? Um, so, uh, let's see here how to concisely give this. Um, so, something's been posted. You think you're right for it. Your agent thinks you're right for it. You get the sides from Showfax. You get the sides from the casting director. However you get the sides, you put yourself on tape. Your agent puts you on tape. And you submit that to the casting director, and that kind of sidelines the submission process altogether. So that's that is the virtual pre-read, which apparently is going to become more and more standard as time goes on. Now, did they talk at all about uh, uh, the only way I can think to put it is quality control? Like basically putting yourself on tape? Are we talking about like recording yourself with a webcam? Are we talking about all actors having to get themselves some kind of I would say flip cam, but they don't, they don't exist anymore. They, They've gone out of business. Basically, I think they're seeing agencies now have a little corner where they have this set up and you can come in and do it. Um, That's interesting to me because they already have uh, a lot of agents who do a lot of voiceover work have booths, voiceover booths uh, yeah. inside of the agency agent's office so you can go in and record voiceover stuff. So now they're talking about maybe having some kind of miniature studio. Yeah, they, they talked about how that was happening in voiceover and then and now how it's happening in the agent's office, which is now kind of sidelining the submission process altogether. So we're talking about basically you getting the sides, you doing your read, they put you on tape, and you send that to the casting director, and so there's not actually a live pre-read. Right. And you may actually end up getting called back to a producer session or director session based off of that pre-read yeah. video. Yeah, they, I mean, they were saying that actors, that it would be good for actors to get, you know, get their own camera, get their own drop cloth, get a few halogen lights and, a, you know, a couple other key lights. And, um, and start doing that themselves. It's interesting because I've gone to a couple casting director workshops recently, and one of the casting directors, Amy Musel, was, um, was talking about the same thing, about, you know, about really being able to promote yourself and find out who's casting what and then and get the size and put yourself on tape or find something that is in line with the submission, put yourself on tape and send it in. Now, did Amy talk about how that video gets to her did she did she on youtube you pop it on youtube and there's another site but there's something kind of wonky with that site which is why i don't remember it that it it seemed like in the in the class discussion that it was better to put it on youtube and then email the casting director with the link so they can just click on whatever's going to make it easy and quick for them to open it 
which is YouTube. Right, but see what what I like about what you're saying right now is now we've we've cut out the money aspect because uh, other than the equipment involved, it's free to upload something to YouTube and free to send an email with a link as opposed to going through right. breakdown well, services and having to pay for that. Well, so there's always a double-edged sword, sword with that. You okay, know. so what is the cost-benefit of of using have, breakdown services? Well, do you have a relationship with that casting director? If you send them an email with your stuff, what, what's the likelihood that they're actually going to open it and, and take you seriously? And we've come full circle back to the representation conversation we were having before because if your representation sends that email they're much more likely to take that seriously than an email from an actor unless you have a re- unless you have a relationship with that casting director. a previous relationship yeah. with the casting director. yeah right um well great this was this was awesome anything else you want to add from that from that panel um aside from that you know they talked a lot about of course you know a, an an a, an a, affiliated website, affiliated service of Breakdown Services, which is castingabout.com. They talked a lot about that and how to use that to your benefit to create and maintain relationships with the casting director. I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's a good tool. I, I don't think it is an indispensable tool at this at this point in time. You know, I mean, the, the upshot of the last third of the conversation um, in that room was about creating and and creating relationships and promoting your work and and kind of how to get a leg up in that respect instead of just being your generic actor blindly submitting to people with no note with just your headshot and resume or a blank postcard. Sure, sure, sure. And they are actually down on the exhibit floor, so hopefully we'll get a chance to um, to uh, speak with them later on in the day. And now I want to kind of move on to the panel that uh, Nelson and I attended, which was called Distribution Strategies for Independent Filmmakers, and it was a kind of a mind-blowing experience. Nelson and I were standing next to each other, and every time uh, this uh, gentleman, Tim Morell, who is the CEO of Morell Media, would open his mouth, some, uh, I, I have to say, cynical and fatalistic comment came out of his mouth, but at the same time, it was... Uh, extremely informative and, 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 and very fascinating. So essentially what he was t- discussing was the ways in which independent filmmakers can get their films distributed, um, but the, the problem is that so many people in the industry, or you know, producers, um, distribution companies, are so risk-averse that it was kind of a panel on how to not get your film distributed. So um, what, kind of, what kind of things stood out for you, Nelson? Well, uh, sadly enough, <laughs> the, I think the first thing that stood out was just how much it sounds like the, the money side of things in the film production and distribution business is run, like, apparently the way that the... the it's run very much the same way that the... the the banks were run before the housing crisis. Ouch! <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, it you know, there's a lot of uh, the, everything was every comment that uh, that the presenter um, was was giving was followed up by saying, "There's no guarantees. Um, <laughs> there's no guarantees. Everyone's the the only thing that's guaranteed is that people are going to take your money." Which um, you know, and I saw a lot of people taking notes very frantically and things like that, and people who were asking questions about. Films that they'd either already completed or films that it sounded like were in the production process um, and what some of the, the best things, that they, what best practices were for them to do in terms of finding financing or now that they found their financing, finding a way to get it distributed. And um, the, the feedback was always, it, it always seemed to round back to, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Um, so, it, you know, I guess, I guess the, the thing that you really have to keep in mind, and one of the comments that should be somewhat of a no-brainer, but I think it's, it's always nice to remind people about is 
don't you know there were two types of uh, of producers and directors that he talked about. There's the kind of person that that creates the film that they are really really passionate about despite what the market conditions are like and then there's the kind of person that says well horror films this is the example he gave well horror films are selling there's lots of horror films that are being distributed right now i'm going to go make a horror film whether i care about them or not i'm just going to go find some people um and, and put together a horror film so you know the punchline of that was just really try to strike a balance between the stuff that you're really passionate about and the stuff that you hopefully have some skill and some knowledge with and see if that is something that you feel like has a good marriage with what the market conditions are like and what people in the world and at least in the country that you're distributing the film in might be really interested in. Um, and, and you know, I'm sure that you, AJ, could talk a little bit about the, uh, the actor side of things. There was a couple of pretty, pretty striking comments about finding actors and using your friends versus no, using potentially more well-known people. Yeah, well, that was one of the first things that happened when we when we first walked into the room was uh, he 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 sort of he didn't quote anybody in particular, but he was essentially quoting all distributors, um, saying, "I'd rather have a bad movie with uh, a name, a name actor, or some kind of celebrity or something. Uh, I'd rather have a bad movie with somebody in it than a good movie with nobody in it." And that was really. I mean, it, I, like I said, very cynical, very sort of fatalistic, but um, this guy's been around a long time, and he definitely knows what he's talking about. So It's true. It, it's true, isn't it? I mean, you, It's totally you, true. You know, the example that he gave was a, a film that uh, was being taken to, to HBO. I think that they said that they'd, they'd made the film for $50,000, I believe is what the example was. And it had Mark Wahlberg in it, and it was about troubled inner-city kids, I believe. Um, and the whole, the whole concept was that the film was not very good, but they got over a quarter million dollars in funding and in backing for distribution just because it had Mark Wahlberg in it. And how many times do we see examples of this that play out in theaters? You know, one of the other, uh, one of the other <clears throat> examples that was given was um, a film that's in theaters now. It came out just a few weeks ago called Dylan Dog. Um, stars Brandon Routh and Sam Huntington, um, both of which are, you know, young sort of... Uh, still emerging actors, but I'd, I'd say that they've got pretty recognizable faces for different reasons. And, um, you know, that film has been in theaters now for uh, over three weeks, and it's done $750,000. So even though that film was a bit of a freak of nature in that it was able to get produced, um, funded, shot, directed, and casted with people who were pretty well-known faces, um, you know... Under under seven hundred fifty thousand or under eight hundred thousand dollars domestically, that film's not going anywhere. Yeah. It really is not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know that that that's sort of it's funny because that's sort of the exception to the to the rule in the opposite direction. You know, um, of the other examples that he gave, which were like paranormal paranormal activity and uh, the Blair Witch Project, where you had these films that were made for like $35,000, $45,000 that were just freaks of nature because they basically hit the lottery and um, you know made tons of money off of it with um, uh, basically no-name actors and an, an extremely low budget. So, um, you know, <clears throat> there, are, are, there are these sort of uh, one-off examples or these outliers, you know, if you will, um, but, but um, for the most part, he was kind of going over the, the various distribution strategies um, that, that one can take and, and did say that obviously having a name actor attached is extremely helpful. So you have <clears throat> things like the domestic market, things like the foreign market, 
um, selling your film domestically, selling your film um, in, in, in other markets uh, internationally. Um, he was talking about the idea of going to festivals and how uh, the only way that going to festivals actually helps is if you win and you win big, meaning you win Sundance, you win Tribeca, you win Cannes. Um, he was talking about um, the idea of um, distributing your film in, in sort of um, minor markets outside of Los Angeles and New York um, using a distribution company to get your film distributed um, in, in actual regional theaters, um, movie theaters. And he, uh, he showed this really interesting book that's put out every year by the Hollywood Reporter that has hundreds and hundreds of distribution companies listed in it. I guess it's like 70 or $75. So if you're an independent filmmaker, um, that seems to be uh, a pretty indispensable tool if you actually want to get your film out there. Um, and the other tool that he um, mentioned was the American Filmmaker... American Filmmaker... Uh, meetup or what was it called? American filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. We'll have a link on the website. It's American filmmakers market. That's what it was. American AFM. America's American filmmaker market, which takes place every fall, actually in Santa Monica, which I, I had no idea this existed until. Uh, today, and it's essentially a uh, where a bunch of uh, producers and directors and distribution companies and filmmakers get together in Santa Monica, and it's just like this conference trade show. It's kind of like it reminds me of like E3 for for anybody who's familiar with the gaming industry. And he said that that <clears throat> you know for three hundred dollars or something like that, you can get a, a half what they what they call a half market. A pass or something, which means you can go to half of the events, and um, and it just seems really fascinating. I, 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 Nelson and I were both saying we would really love to see if it was possible to get into the into AFM. So we'll have to kind of uh, keep you posted. Stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll keep one, you posted. One last thing: uh, you were talking a bit ago about the different ways of distributing your film, whether it be through the the um, you know. <clears throat> traditional means of just trying to find a big buyer and get it directly into theaters, trying to go the film festival route, uh, and kind of going through that entire circuit and that process. But one of the things that, that was notably absent in my mind from this presentation was something that's very near and dear to our, no, our hearts and something that I'm sure is very uh, relevant to all of our listeners, and that's distributing a film digitally over the Internet. I didn't really, really hear anything, and this may just have more to do with the fact that um, that Tim Morell is more, uh, you know, a little bit old school. He's a student of the old school, yeah, yeah. and th and that that's the the language that he's able to speak is more about the traditional distribution methods. But I think that there's a lot that was missing, and that there was a lot that was not said about the value and the power, that just the raw power of distributing your stuff over the internet um, and using tools like and you know even these electronic film festivals. That YouTube has. I have. I have a couple of friends that uh, were just working. That were just doing a film festival that, that Google was hosting, uh, using YouTube obviously as their as their platform for people to. They would basically just throw out a topic, and people were making these five to ten to fifteen minute shorts and submitting them. And then these folks um, that Google had contracted were basically going through them and, and seeing which ones they wanted to go ahead and throw $50,000 at and maybe have the film be remade with a little more polish and things like that. There's so many opportunities using Vimeo, using, um, Google, uh, using YouTube, um, not Google Video anymore, uh, but mm -hmm. there are so many different ways of distributing your film over the Internet that bypass all of these very 
um, bureaucratic systems that have been in place for a long time. And I think that there's a really great discussion that was that was um, not had during this presentation about that. I wonder if Tim, I kind of wonder if Tim, um, in addition to being a, a slightly old school in, in his experiences, I wonder if, in addition to that, the reason that he didn't bring it up is because of the um, sort of lack of uh, money or lack of lack of lack of funding, and also lack of money that can be made in that um, using that method. Like you have these success stories, like um, Ed Burns, for instance, who um, you know just released his most recent film, Nice Guy Johnny, um, digitally only, digital distribution only, and apparently you know. Seen, and you've seen not to interrupt you, but you've seen many uh, examples of that in the music industry. Obviously, with uh, people like Nine Inch Nails or like Radiohead, OK Go, Radiohead, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. You have seen it work um, in in the in the in the music business. The 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 issue though with that is that all of those people have uh, established names, um, you know. Where whereas um, um, you know, uh, and, and Ed Burns has an established name. Whereas some of these independent filmmakers, you know, you may not have um, that type of of of, of um, clout, as it were, to get people to, you know, um, buy into your film without, you know, and for, for no other reason than, you know, you're Edward Burns. But if you listen to, if you listen to a lot of what's being talked about in the entertainment news arena, sort of what, the things that the Hollywood Reporter is talking about, things that, uh, you know, KCRW's podcast, um, uh, the Hollywood Breakdown and, um, and, um, the treatment talk about is that there's so much money, and this was touched on here, there's so much money being lost in the physical media, um, arena, you know, the DVD and Blu-ray sales. Mm -hmm. And there's also so much money being lost in, um, in theater sales. You know, there are not as many people putting their butts in theater seats mm -hmm. on a day to day and week to, and, you know, weekly and monthly and yearly basis, uh, as there used to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not that those people are not interested in films anymore. It's not at all that that's the case. Mm -hmm. They are watching them on smaller screens. Mm -hmm. and, and you can take this one step further, and you can talk about the consumer electronics industry, and you can look, you can go ask Sony, go ask Pioneer, go ask LG. Television sales are down. Mm -hmm. there's, there's tons of data to support this. So even people who are wanting to bring that home theater experience into their own lives and into their own private space, there's, you know, TV sales are down, everything is down. And where are all those people going? They're, they're watching stuff on their mobile devices. Mm -hmm. They're watching them on their computers. They're watching them on their tablets. People are continuing to consume media. And I, I don't necessarily know that it's at an increasing pace, but they're still consuming it at least the same rate, but not in the same traditional mediums. And so I think that, that you know, that, that's the reason why I brought up the whole concept of um, the discussion that wasn't had about digital distribution, using digital meaning using the Internet as your platform, as your, as your, your um, launching mechanism. Because, you know, whether you're watching Vimeo or whether you're watching YouTube or whether you're watching something that you downloaded from the iTunes store or that you're streaming from Amazon or the, you know, the big 800-pound gorilla in the room is Netflix – Mm -hmm. uh, that people are watching these films. Who, 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 who just recently, they talked about this on the, I think the same episode of the, of Bonnie Gillespie's podcast, the work that we were on. Um, yeah. but Netflix is starting to become a, a, a content creator in addition yes. to, or content distributor in addition to a distributor of other people's content. They're, 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 they're going to start distributing original content as well. Um, so with big names, you know, they've got David Fincher, they've got Kevin Spacey mm -hmm. on as a producer. They've got, um, very, very, you know, arguably the heaviest of the heavy hitters that are buying into this belief of using Netflix and or other internet based, 
um, distribution methods as their primary strategy moving forward. There's a lot to be said there, and I'm sure that there's a lot that our audience members um, who are either consumers of this or, or maybe even participants in this can talk about. So please send us your thoughts, send us an email, uh, give us a call at the Google Voice number, and, and let us know what you have to say about this. So... Obviously, we can see the trend towards mobile, we can see the trend towards the internet, but who knows yet how exactly to monetize these things. I think that's the next big question. Um, we've got a run. We're uh, already running late to our next panel, um, which is on finding film funding, and so uh, we'll be back in just a moment. All right, so we just attended, um, let's see, several panels, actually, at uh, some at the same time, and uh, we have it recorded for two um, hours. So uh, each one of these panels is about an hour long, so um, we've each gone to two, and we split up and went to a bunch of them. So um, we got a lot to talk about. I attended one called Finding Film Funding, which was an excellent, excellent, excellent panel. Um, Melissa caught the tail end of that, but she also uh, went to one called Pitch Boot Camp, um, which is about you know pitching your uh, projects and companies. And Nelson actually attended one called The Arc of the Story, How Editing Informs the Narrative, which was sort of a misnomer because the presenter was not told that that was going to be the topic no, no. until the last minute. And so he ended up talking about uh, gear. gear, right? Gear, yeah. gear uh, his editing process and um, experience that he's had with, with editing everything from music videos to feature films to... Uh, television shows and commercials. So what kind of uh, interesting stuff did you glean from, from that one? Well, you know, uh, the discussion was primarily about um, about cameras. And so, it, you know, being a bit of gearhead, it was nice because we got to kind of geek out a bit about uh, the different types of cameras and what's popular for different types of um, media that's being recorded. Uh, so there was a discussion, of course, about the RED camera, which has been a camera that's been, you know, popular for the last half decade or so, mm-hmm. as there have been new iterations and things like that to that. Um, obviously, the RED camera is, or maybe not obviously, the RED camera is a camera that was developed um, partly by uh, the co-founder of Oakley Sunglasses. And the whole idea behind it is that he partnered with someone who was well-known, who worked at a pretty well-established camera manufacturing company, and they decided to set out and build a camera that had nothing to do or didn't follow any of the rules of the conventional cameras that were of the day of the industry right <laughs> mm-hmm. and so um the whole red camera uh, ecosystem now has its own language and its own set of um do's and don'ts and things like that and it's because it's become a really popular setup uh there are lots of things that people have had to learn about how to use those cameras but they're a lot less expensive than uh the cameras that they compete with um obviously now we also have digital slrs so still cameras that record video and there's a lot of discussion about that as well and that's Something that was um, talked about for people that are shooting stuff that's on a lower budget, stuff that's primarily for the web, short films um, with like under $10,000 budgets, things like that. So it was uh, was interesting to hear. And then he also talked a little bit about the um, post-production side of things and whether you're editing with Final Cut or whether you're editing with Avid, um, top, top tips that he had on codecs to use. 
to basically get the most out of your camera and uh, the most for the final product. That's cool. That's cool. I'm, I'd be interested to hear what somebody with a lot of experience in production, a lot of experience with some of these high-end cameras like the RED, have to say about the uh, the digital SLRs and, and sort of their place in the, in the industry right now. Um, but you were saying it was mostly... Well, uh, like if you are doing a low budget product, you know, project. Only because the cameras are a lot less expensive. Uh, right. The only, the only potentially negative thing that was said about them is that because they record less data, because they're because of the sensors and the way that they're set up, because they're recording less data, you have less, um, you have fewer stops of color depth to work with in terms of latitude for color correction. So if, oh, you, if you're using an SLR to shoot something, you really are gonna you get what you're getting. What you get whatever the camera is recording, uh, and you don't have a lot of flexibility to do things like adjusting color balance and adjusting white balance uh, and after po- the fact. post-production. Yeah. Interesting. So okay. Worth noting, yeah. Cool. I really enjoyed the Finding Film Funding uh, panel that I attended. It was, it was uh, sort of hosted by or presented by um, this company called Real Grok, which is a combination sort of production or pr- you know, production company, and by production company, I mean like actual producers and investors. And it was these uh, two uh, gentlemen who, whose names I, I don't. Well, I know one 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 of their names is uh, this guy named Norman Norman Burns, and they were fantastic. They were both uh, like a, a wealth of knowledge, really funny, um, well aware of where the industry has been, is, and is going. And um, I'm just going to go over some of uh, my notes, um, just kind of uh, to highlight some of the um, the uh, the stuff that they talked about. So <clears throat> they were basically, in terms of finding film funding, one of the best things that you can do is go after investors, and that's something that I've heard uh, a lot today is talking about going after people who are willing to just give you money and and potentially a lot of it. So they were talking about the the idea of making sure that you can give them something in your pitch, whether that's like a big-name actor who's attached to the film, a letter from said actor's agent, uh, what they were calling so- a soft letter from an agent saying that that, that actor had sort of an intention to, to be attached to this, this film if the funding was there. So some kind of incentive for, for the agent, uh, or I'm sorry, for the investor. Now, they did say that those soft letters are kind of going away right uh, right now. They're, they're becoming less and less uh, prevalent because, uh, once again, people are so risk-averse, including the agents. They don't want to lock their clients into, into anything. But at least showing them that you're serious. Um, so they said that even another great example is having a casting director attached because if you have a casting director with a lot of really great credits, then it shows that you're serious about making this happen and you have a plan that includes a budget and a budget that includes a casting director. Um, they also uh, talked uh, uh, a little bit about the the technical side of things. In other words, um, uh, the there's uh, a portion of the Security and Exchange Commission website that's all about film investing. So you can literally go onto the SEC that's website, look for film investing, which they said are rules 504 through 506. And you can literally read up on what um, the the legal ramifications are for investors to invest in your film. Um, obviously, an investor can write off their um, their investment in your film, but there's been a change to that rule in the tax code. So the new rule, the old rules state that the investor could write off their losses, 
over time. So like they could write off you know uh, uh, an investment in a film over a period of like three to four years. Now they can actually write off 100% of their investment in the year in which they've invested. So they they no longer have to wait for the the return on that investment and they were saying it was kind of funny they were saying that uh they're just throwing numbers around and they were saying that a million dollar investment in that case is actually really only an eight hundred thousand dollar investment because when you use it as a write-off you're going to get about 20 percent of that back wow that's a huge isn't that a money. huge number That's a huge number. so like if you literally have somebody who's who's in the 20 percent tax bracket and they're willing right. to donate that sizable of a chunk of money a million dollars they're really only investing eight hundred thousand dollars because they're going to get two hundred thousand of that back uh simply in the write-off on their taxes now is that is that state specific he did say that it was specific to California, I okay. think. Um, there are different rules and different incentives in various states. Um, and uh, Just like there are for starting a company. Right. Yes, right. exactly. And, and, he di- and he did say that that, that uh, in particular was, was California, but um, I'm sure there are similar, I'm sure there are similar rules in, in other states. Um, which brings me to actually another, you know, mode of investing, uh, which is... Um, um, or another another way of, of helping your production along monetarily, financially, which is uh, foreign distribution or foreign funding, yeah. and also going to a specific state to shoot your film because of its particular tax incentives right. or return on you know the, the 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 actual production happening inside of that state. One of the producers in this panel said that he didn't like that idea typically because he said that. Um, uh, the st- like, m- there's so many stipulations when it comes to uh, that type of thing that it it <clears throat> it really almost doesn't. It, it's not worth it to do, to to do that to to go to a specific state in order to shoot your film just because you want some kind of um, return on your taxes or what have you. Well, I, I, I've I've heard I've heard that argument before. Uh, the argument being. To actually go to another location mm-hmm. to, to shoot right. for the production, you know, production benefits and things like that. And I know that specifically in California, there are lots of incentives even within the state, even with you know intra-county incentives. Um, for example, it's more expensive to shoot in Orange County than it is in LA County uh, mm-hmm. for for some television shows that I know of. And so you know, there that's the reason why a lot of times you'll see uh, a show about the beach being shot. You know about a story that takes place in San Diego, and they'll shoot it here in LA. They'll shoot it in Venice. In addition to the fact that yeah. it's less money for the studios to have to travel down there and send equipment down there, there's also tax breaks and things like that. But I, I'd be I'd be really interested to see what, what the argument against that would be and how who is making that argument. Is it someone who is losing money because <laughs> because there's stuff that's being not shot in LA, or how does that work? I, I'm not I'm not sure. He, I mean, he didn't go into too much detail. Uh, he just, you know, was saying that there's so many stipulations. This, I mean, this is a producer. But he's saying that there are so many stipulations around shooting it in another state that it almost um, didn't make enough sense to 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 always do it. He did, however, say that if you had like an interest piece, like if you had something like, um, you know, that took place in you know New Jersey, and you could potentially um, attract an investor who has invested in 
communities in New Jersey a lot, then sort of the stars may align where you say, okay, we're going to shoot in New Jersey. We're going to get whatever tax incentives we get from shooting in New Jersey. We're going to attract investors who are interested in telling stories about New Jersey and all, you know, so that all these things sort of line up. But that obviously takes a lot of foresight and a lot of uh, you know, work. And it, it's, <laughs> again, it sounds like some of the the downsides or the drawbacks to, to going on location, you know, or, or out of the way to shoot in another place to potentially save money. It sounds like it's all very, uh, it's a lot of legal gray area. Is that, is that, that's the impression that I'm getting is that there's not really any concrete reasons why to or why not to do that. Well, they, it's not that that's gray. It's that there's so many different reasons why to or not to do it that you really want to be specific about why it is that you are going for your to project do it. exactly, okay, exactly, okay. and it's going to be project specific. Last thing I'll say about this uh, panel uh, was uh, an interesting statistic. They said something I don't know where they're getting the, these numbers, so I'm just throwing out what I heard. But they said that uh, foreign funding for films in the United States is actually down 60 percent right now, and where a lot of people are going. Take one guess. I'm sure you'll get it right. More people are now looking towards digital and digital distribution to kind of make up for that gap. So, yeah, I thought yeah, that was... Talk about that. So that's that's fascinating. And that's also, I mean, in a way, you know, for people like us and for people that are, you know, like our listeners, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to hear that there's a huge chunk of money and attention that's being paid to the Internet and to using the Internet as a, as a uh, viable and an actual sort of grown-up distribution channel. It's yeah, cool. and it, well, in a place where you can actually, you know, make money. Yeah. So uh, we uh, um, we're waiting for uh, our correspondent Melissa to get out of um, her the the panel that she's currently in. Um, so in the meantime, we'll uh, Nelson and I just re- the last panel that we just attended was called How to Start and Run Your Own Entertainment Production Company, which we were extremely interested in, considering we just did that. Um, we, we just started uh, Ligature Media, which we announced on episode 50. And, you know, Nelson uh, was obviously, you know, a huge part of that. We got ourselves an investor. Um, we are currently in the midst of talking to bankers and lawyers about this whole thing. So we were interested in hearing what, um, what they had to say about this. And it turned out to be the biggest dud of the entire day. I actually just tweeted at See, I chose to look at it more like, the, it was more like the comedy hour. It was pretty funny. Um, I, 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 I don't like being, you know, uh, uh, negative about everything. I like to try to see the good and everything and try to glean some information from everything. But there was literally nothing. <laughs> like I, I took away one tip from this, which we'll talk about, but yeah, we did, we did learn about a new website though. Oh yes. Yes. IMBD. You should check it out. Um, <laughs> that's not a joke. Um, the presenter co- was constantly saying, uh, yeah, I'm here to t- teach you how to start your own production and investment company, which is not what the panel was about. <laughs> uh, he kept saying things like, um, you just need to get on IMBD, um, and a whole bunch of other things that were not correct. Like he said something about an SS corporation, but you know what? Which, which is, is not which is kind of accurate. Yeah. S class corporation. But you know is, what, is though? A, is a, is a, is a Thumbs up thing. to that guy for getting in getting into showbiz because we've been surrounded by other people that have been you know very high high quality high caliber uh, courses and you know and, and activities that they do outside of here 
So I'm sure that there was a lot of demand to get us a lot of, at the, you know, to be an, an actual panelist. Um, kudos to that guy for getting in. Yeah, he, he waking I up early know, that day and getting know, online. I don't know what he did, to, but he he made it happen. I, I the thing that 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 I would be curious to find out about uh, his company, and I'm not gonna you know firebomb this guy and talk about his name and, and his company's name, but the thing that I would love to know is what his successes are in his production company because it seems like they're I don't know they're doing okay like they have an office in Santa Monica um, they've he's been invo- he said he's been involved with many different productions uh, award shows um, you know all kinds of different stuff music so I, I don't know I, I, I guess I know. he I guess he's making it happen. If we find out, we will bring the information to you. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So uh, we're going to wrap this up and, uh, and go look for our correspondent and see if she's done with her other panels. All right, guys. So we're uh, sitting here with Melissa Collins, who just got out of Get, Get Known Now from Frantic to Focused in Seven Simple Steps. And we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. But first, we got to go back to, um, uh, she just attended two panels in a row, right? So you've got the pitch boot camp that you just attended right before that, right? Do you have anything to say on on either of these? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So getting out of being being part of um, the pitch boot camp seminar um, was really cool because I'd never been exposed to anything like it. so that was basically um, basically working out your pitch for your screenplay um, for for things like pitch festivals, where you ha- you've got five minutes to sit in front of a producer, sit in front of a network, and introduce your introduce your project, and you know give your log line, and hopefully get people interested in it. Um, I don't have too much to say about it, except the guy that was running it was super cool. He is with. Script Writers Network, and they are a nonprofit organization um, in Los Angeles, and they do a ton of they do a ton of stuff in terms of workshopping your scripts, and they've got team programs and writers groups and things like that in the city, um, which is really cool. It was um, we started, and I, I'm I'm there as press, so I don't have a script, <laughs> and everyone's lining up to you know to pitch, so I kind of hung back and and listened. So it's like I mean, he says within the first two minutes you should you should have what you want to say out in the air and have a way for, you know, hopefully you've gotten whoever you're pitching to interested enough to ask you questions about it. So I guess in the, in the pitch festivals, you've got five minutes. You only want to take the first two minutes, and you want to spend the next three minutes hopefully answering questions and developing a relationship with that person. Interesting. So were there, what kind of tools were they offering to kind of hone that, that pitch skill? Um, that's the thing. I think that that's, that is more what the nonprofit focuses on and something like in, in the, the way that this particular seminar was set up, it was basically, it was, it was a boot camp. It was for you to work out your pitch with a bunch of different people and get feedback from a bunch of different people. Unfortunately, you have no idea how qualified those people are to be giving you feedback. Um, I sat in on one pitch where, you know, for, to me, it sounded like the guy had a good idea, but didn't really understand how to express himself well. And it sounded as though the man giving him feedback wasn't super qualified to give him feedback. I sat in on another one with a professional writer that knew exactly what she was doing, um, which was really, really cool. So, you know, you get a good feel for I mean, it's kind of like reading the back of a book. Does the back of the book make you want to buy the book? Or do you not? 
do you not really care at the end of the day? You know, do you feel like you just wasted three minutes reading that back of the book? Gotcha, gotcha. And then you uh, you attended the Get Known Now from Fran- fr- from frantic to focused in seven simple steps. Now. The description on the on this panel says, discover how to take your career into your own hands to have more auditions, book more work, and get known now. What does it mean to get known, at least to these people? Um, this panel was led by Emily Grace, um, who, I don't know, you just fall in love with her. I fell in love with her. She was just, like, super, super ridiculously cute and really, really articulate. Um, this was more for people who, um, I feel like, you know, there are people that you know that are really, really driven, know what they're doing, have, are very specific with their goals, the way you have to be with any kind of business plan. And this, I think, is very, you know, one-on-one for people that are just starting out or maybe have been spinning their wheels and haven't, haven't been very specific about what they're doing, what they're targeting, who they're targeting, what they want to do with their career, and are just kind of kind of maybe floundering or throwing their power away just saying okay I'll leave it up to my agent you know to submit me and we'll you know and I'll get my big break from that or I'll submit myself you know screw the agent I don't need or maybe we'll both do it but you know relying on one tool rather than creating their own buzz and really creating an online presence for themselves and really going after their own work so she had some good she had some really good things to say um she's got a seven step plan um but it, you know, it's it, it's it's a good basic plan for people that may be overwhelmed or are floundering or just kind of need a need a coach. A coach for their acting for their acting career, or a coach for getting uh, more audition. Like what a, co- a coach for? Yeah, like a, a, a coach a coach for their business. You know, the way that you would have a life coach. You know, you know, someone in your ring, kind of focusing you. A, me- a mentor. Almost. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Cool. Now, most of the panels today and the panelists are attached to some company or another. Does Emily have uh, a, a resource that our listeners might be interested um, in? Emily is her own thing. Um, Emily Grace. Her ta- her uh, her Twitter handle is underscore underscore Emily Grace. Um, I don't. I think that actually might be the only information I have on her but I think if you if you do a general search I think you're going to be able to find her pretty quickly alright cool so we're um, we're just about done we've got we're, we might be attending one or two more panels um, and we want to also spend some time down on the exhibitors floor getting some inter- interviews down there so stay tuned Okay, guys, I'm standing here with Zach Lesberg, who is actually the owner of the Showbiz Expo, and we'd just like to ask him a couple of questions about the show and uh, kind of get a little bit of the history of it. So, uh, Zach, first of all, thank you so much for talking to us. Really for coming. It. So, um, tell us, uh, how long has the Showbiz Expo been going on? For? Uh, Showbiz Expo has been around since the 80s. Um, it actually stopped in about 2003, okay. um, and then I started it up again in about 2007 in New York. And we brought it back to L.A. in 2009, early 2009. Um, and it's been growing ever since, and we're thrilled with its success out here in L.A. Okay, so great. So it's been actually a pretty recent thing that it's been back yeah. in Los yeah. Angeles. This is about, I think this is the fifth show in L.A. Wow, okay, yeah. awesome. Since, since it's re-instatement. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Re-instatement. Yeah, or, um, well, 
since we're on the subject, what what have you found to be some of the differences between the New York show and the LA show? Uh, New York is a lot more theatrical based, just because we have Broadway out there. LA is very film oriented, Mm because obviously it's Hollywood. So depending on the city that we're in, we're looking to expand to actually some other cities around the country and the world. So. Uh, eventually those will encompass specifically what's in those cities. What do you have next in your sites? I actually cannot announce it yet, but oh, we're very excited on. about it. You're not going to give us the yeah, scoop? I, the can't, scoop I, can't, I can't yet, but we're very excited about it. Okay. There's a couple of cities actually that are in the works. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. So, um, you, so you took over... Um, after it had shut down, what what year was what year was that? Um, I believe it was 2003 that it ended. Uh, they just kind of stopped doing it for a little mm-hmm. bit, and then we started it back up in 2007. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, the Inside Acting Podcast has attended trade shows in the past, specifically Actor Fest, sure. um, a couple of years in a row. How Don't do say you the s- A word. How do you? I'm okay, just, I'm oh, just kidding. Right, I'm just right, kidding. Right, little, little no, we, competition. Yeah, no, we love Actor Fest. I, the people over there are great. So okay, so great. that was I was going to ask you what you see as being the major differences. Between between that well, trade show and, and this one. Actorfest actually I think is a great show. Um, I I know a lot of people that go to it and we're very we we love them over there. Uh, the difference though is that Showbiz Expo is an all encompassing event. It's not just for actors. Right. Whereas this show, you know, this show also brings in directors, producers, writers. It's an opportunity for actors to actually network with other producers and other directors. Whereas Actorfest, it's my understanding, is just for actors or casting directors looking for actors. So we are more of a an all-encompassing event that brings in everybody. Okay, understood. Now, you don't have to give me hard numbers if you don't want to. Sure. I'm assuming that's probably either confidential information or something you want to give to just the exhibitors. But does it cost money to be an exhibitor on the floor? Yeah, or? It, it does cost money to be an exhibitor on the floor or be a sponsor. And some people also pay to go to workshops and whatnot. So we offer an opportunity to come to the show for free mm-hmm. uh, for the attendees. But there are certain things that they can buy Um just like any other show. Okay, so yeah. they can pay to basically attend. We attended several of the panels today. Exactly. So that's the kind of thing that they would actually... They can buy pa- access to the panels, of course. Access to the yeah. panels. Okay, excellent. And um, where do you find your panelists? Uh, we get hundreds, if not almost a thousand applications for people to conduct a workshop at the show. Wow, and really? then what we do is we have a committee that goes through them. And depending on what's hot during that year, like social media obviously is very hot. Sure. So we have a social media panel. Just sure. depends on what's hot during the year, and we, we then accept them. Okay, excellent. All right, well, thanks for talking to us, Zach. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks um, for coming. Thanks for uh, putting on the show. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for being here. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that uh, Showbiz Expo content. Uh, it was really interesting, you know. It was our first time attending this uh, this trade show, and we didn't really know what to expect. I had assumed it was going to be similar to Actor Fest, being that it was just you know uh, another trade show for the entertainment industry, and being that it's called the Showbiz Expo and not Actor Fest. I did assume, as you heard Zach say at the end there, that it was more focused on. Um, other aspects of the industry as well as acting. So there was a lot of stuff there for actors. Um, you know, there were some casting directors there. Uh, casting about had um, an exhibit down on the exhibit floor, as I as I had mentioned. And you know, the the voiceover panel that I went to, for instance, that's uh, pretty actor centric. Um, and you know, the one thing that we didn't end up getting, uh, as you may be able to tell from just listening to the episode, is we didn't end up getting a whole lot of interviews down on the exhibit floor. We did go down and talk to a few people, including Zach, but we had so much content from the uh, discussions regarding the panels that we decided um, just to 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 not spend too much time down on the exhibit floor. 
Um, and, you know, with good reason, as Trevor and I have said about Actorfest, those exhibit floors tend to just be a um, more of a, a commercial, a live commercial for the people who are attending. And more than... See, at Actorfest, you had a lot of exhibits that were... Or not a lot of exhibits, but a handful of exhibits that were like, why are you here? And I think you may remember us talking about, you know, a girl who was selling t-shirts at ActorFest and we just couldn't understand why that, you know, person had an exhibit there. There were um, many more like that at the Showbiz Expo where there were exhibits that didn't seem to have anything to do with um, the entertainment industry or at least not the... um, non-adult entertainment industry. I don't mean to say that the Showbiz Expo exhibit floor is full of porn uh, producers, but there was one that kind of stands out to to me, and um, and I'm sure if Melissa and Nelson were here as well, they would agree with me, uh, which was these like body art things, like these stickers that you would put on your body, and so there was just a bunch of scantily clad men and women running around this one booth um, wearing these body art things. And we were just like, why, why, what, I don't understand what this is doing here. So, um, you know, it is one way for the showbiz expo to make some money and, and, and keep their trade show growing. So in a way it's like, well, you know, they're keeping the lights on this way. Uh, but at the same time, as we have said about actor fest, you have to kind of take everything with a grain of salt. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoyed the, the rest of the content. And if you have anything to say about it, um, there's so much to discuss here. We talked a lot about a lot of really interesting things. So if you have questions for us, or if something wasn't clear, or if you have something you'd like to add to what one of the panelists was saying, please, please do not hesitate to get in touch with us. You guys all know how to do that. You can check out our website at insideactingpodcast.com and leave a comment there. You can email us at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com. We also have the voice number uh, at uh, 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213 Seven. You can send us a tweet at twitter.com slash inside acting. And actually, you should probably check out the Twitter feed from May 7th um, because we were all tweeting interesting thoughts and comments and quotes that we were hearing at the trade show, um, not all of which uh, people agreed with. We had some some people tweeting back at us saying, like, you shouldn't say these things to actors. And we were like, oh, we're just the messenger. Don't shoot us. We're just, you know, talking about interesting um, uh, discussions here at the show. And of course you can follow us at our individual accounts. I'm at twitter.com slash digital actor. Trevor is at twitter.com slash Trevor Algat. You can leave a review for our show on, um, of course, iTunes and also at actorrated.com. And last but certainly not least, you can donate to the podcast. Oh, Wait, I forgot about Facebook. You can find us on Facebook as well. And last but certainly not least, you can donate to the podcast. Um, so um, as you know, as I said at the top of the show, you know um, this, this podcast is, is totally um, uh, listener-supported more than anything else, and we wouldn't still be going if it wasn't for you guys. So um, if, you have, if you find something of value from the show, head on over to InsideActingPodcast.com, and on the right-hand side, there's two ways to donate. You can either leave one lump sum donation, or you can set yourself up for a recurring monthly donation, three, five, ten, or twenty dollars. So, um, thank you so much, you guys, for listening. We've got a couple of special announcements before we go. The first one, 
uh, you've heard before, which is just that don't forget about your 15% discount at samovarlife.com, uh, 15% off of everything at their website. And remember that this is yet another way that you can support the podcast because as advertisers uh, see that um, a relationship with Inside Acting is a fruitful one, we can hopefully get more advertisements and make improvements to the podcast um, using the um, advertising dollars that come in in addition to your donations. So samofourlife.com, type in the promo code ACTING101, ACTING101, and you will get 15% off of everything on their website, and they have some amazing tea and some amazing tea equipment, um, so go ahead and check that out. We've got a new discount for our Inside Acting listeners. See how valuable it is to listen to Inside Acting? Go and tell your friends. New discount for Inside Acting listeners. Marcy Liroff, who has been a guest on the podcast, has so graciously extended a discount on her uh, store, the store on her website, where she sells um, a DVD on like an audition boot camp. And if you go on to her website and purchase the audition boot camp DVD, and just when you pay for it, if in PayPal, you write a little note to her saying that you heard about her on Inside Acting, she will refund you 20% of your purchase. That's pretty good. Um, 20% off of um, Marcy Leroff's audition DVD. So go and check that out as well. And, uh, you know, show these people that, uh, you know, being uh, uh, having a relationship with inside acting is a good thing. In addition to that, stay tuned for in a couple of weeks, we'll have more information on this. Um, uh, the details are still coming in. But uh, Marcy and Marcy Liroff and Bonnie Gillespie's your actor MBA is going to be starting up again soon. And they are actually going to be having a Groupon deal on Groupon on like Groupon.com. That if you guys get those emails, it'll be coming to you. If not, stay tuned. It's going to be uh, sometime around May nineteenth, May twentieth, where you can get something crazy like a hundred dollars off of your actor MBA. So stay tuned for that. Uh, lots of great deals coming your way, actors. If that's something that you've been interested in, you've wanted to do for a long time, um, but just haven't been able to afford it, maybe this is a way for uh, to bust through that um, that cost prohibitive ceiling. All right, I think that's all I have for you guys today. So uh, remember to get in touch with us or go on over to the website and donate or head on over to samofourlife.com and get yourself some tea. We really appreciate your listenership and we're looking forward to bringing you part two of Kit Steinkellner's interview in episode 53 next week. In the meantime, I'm AJ Meyer signing off.